Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast, a podcast for brain injury survivors by brain injury survivors, providing resources and camaraderie for anyone recovering from any type of brain injury, with your hosts, Aaron Martin and Mariah Morgan. Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast. I'm Mariah. And I'm Aaron. And today we are going to have a discussion on a really important topic. We all eat, we all need to continue eating, and what's the best thing for our heads and our brain injuries? So to address this topic, we have Susanna Juto. She is the headache nutritionist and also a member of our brain injury community. She'll talk about that a little bit more, but brain tumor and recovering from that has really inspired her to reach out more to everyone about nutrition. So welcome, Susanna. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this chat with you. Us too. Likewise. So Susanna, tell us a little bit about how this journey started for you. Yeah, so of course this story can always be really long. <laughs> so <laughs> cut to the We show. got nothing but time. <laughs> <laughs> so as a kid, I was always fascinated with the brain, which is really funny because it's just foreshadowed so much in my life. But even like in grade six and grade eight, I wanted I did all of these like brain camps to learn more about the brain and many like mini university courses. And so when I finished high school, I I went right into neuroscience as a career path, as I thought at the time. And uh, after after taking that degree, I just I was like, but I want to work with people and uh, wasn't really like that into the I didn't want to be a doctor and yet wasn't into the research side of things. So I kind of took some time figuring out where I wanted to go. And nutrition had always been calling to me, but I, I never knew that being a dietitian was actually a career path at that time. So once my mom pointed out, she's like, I, you've always loved like the, the effect of food on the brain. And, and she's like, why don't you become a dietitian? And so I followed that career path, did my master's in nutrition, started working in the field. I worked at a community health center for several years. And, and then I, I actually, I was skiing and I hit my head when I was skiing. And to me, it was it was nothing at the time because I play a ton of sports. I'm always, you know, I'm five feet tall, so I'm either getting hit in the head or hitting the head <laughs> often. But this time it was it was different because two days later, I was I was fine for the first two days, but two days later, I started getting a lot of symptoms of bad headaches, feeling really dizzy, not able to focus at all, irritable all these things that just, it kept getting worse and worse. And, and the doctors, like I went to see a couple of different doctors and they're like, well, it must be a concussion. You hit your head. And, and we still don't know, perhaps it was a concussion, but as with a concussion, your, your symptoms should at least plateau. And with me, things just kept getting worse and worse uh, to the point that I couldn't function at all. And so finally they did an MRI and they found a brain tumor, the, the size of a ping pong ball that was pressing on my brainstem. Ooh. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And it was a benign tumor, but because it's on the, on the brainstem, they had to act very quickly. Mm. And yeah, from, from that point on, or at least talking with the, 
my neurosurgeon and all of my healthcare team, they said, you know, as soon as uh, the surgery is done and you have two months of recovery where your brain is recovering, all of the headaches and all the symptoms you've been experiencing will go away and you'll be able to return to work in two months is what I was told. And that didn't happen at all. So Mm. the way I see it is that the concussion and the surgery, it all caused my, I, I like to think of things as a headache bucket. So we all genetically have a different size headache bucket where different either genetically or something in our lives so either getting hit on the head or having in in my case the brain tumor or any other health condition makes that headache bucket much smaller and it causes other symptoms that can go on much longer so for many for five years after that surgery i suffered with my uh, frequent migraine attacks and chronic headaches so chronic daily headaches that just didn't go away at all mm. and wow. yeah so it took it was a long time before i was able to return to work and you know mood was always an issue finally found some some meds that had things more or less under control but still i always felt like there was a solution out there that wasn't being provided with the typical like conventional medical route and so I eventually just really drew on my own uh, education and uh, found, found my own solutions. And I've been migraine free for two years now. Wow. And you've done that mostly without medications at this point? So in the, yeah, the, the last the beginning. two years have been medication free as well. Yeah. Wow. That's mm. phenomenal. That but- is amazing. Tell us a little bit about what that entails. Did you have to turn your life upside down or I mean, nutrition to uh, me is scary because it means so much change, but yeah, yeah. Right. And that's often kind of what holds people back is the, it's like, it can be scary to, to think, oh, either an elimination diet where you end up eating like a rabbit or oh, there's just so many unknowns or you get lost looking online and there's so many, like there's so many articles out there and then your brain just can't handle processing all that information and reading it and listening to all these videos that uh, we kind of get stuck doing doing nothing. And I was definitely in that place for a long time. So it's really looking at nutrition as much a, a much bigger picture that nutrition is part of the puzzle. And there's a lot of other alternative therapies to combine with it as well. So really, I, I think of it as like three pillars, like you want to address your sleep, your stress and your nutrition. And um, so I, I always kind of target things from that angle. And then the nutrition piece that we can break down much more because a healthy diet doesn't mean a headache free diet. So we can eat very healthy whole foods and not see symptom relief because when we're addressing headaches, or I mostly work with people who deal with migraine attacks, then we want to be paying more attention to an anti-inflammatory diet. I was wondering if that word was going to come up. (laughs) Yeah. And also, I think that's a really great point, Susanna, that a healthy diet is not a headache-free diet. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of us think, well, I'm eating healthy, so I'm must be doing everything right and why why am i still having issues so absolutely that's what got me hung up for the first few years of 
It's like, I'm a dietitian. I eat perfectly well. It must not be nutrition my issue. And until I really connected with the idea that migraine is an inflammatory condition. And so we need to address the inflammation. Gotcha. And that's where I got to some better, better results. Yeah. So it just, it always boggles me because inflammation is such a process in our bodies. No one will say or debate that we have inflammation, but then providers, maybe they're not as educated or whatnot, but they seem very hands-off towards anti-inflammatory type diets or anything like that. Well, it's kind of like, and I could be talking crazy talk, but it's kind of like a brain injury. It's invisible, right? Like you can't Mm -hmm. see it from the surface. So I wonder if that's part of the problem is like, we look fine, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And it's not something that you can't pair the symptom to a quick, it's not a quick fix, right? You can't just say, okay, you have inflammation, do this and this and you're good or take this medication and you're good because a medication is usually going to add to the inflammation rather than take it away. Hmm. So we really want to have that combination approach where we're working with the doctors for, to address the symptoms and like pairing that, that medication, the symptoms, because there's absolutely a place for medication. And then we can work with health providers and dietitians to address the nutrition piece and really talk about how to get the inflammation under control through, through food. Because and um, we absolutely need to look at our at our food intake for for symptom alleviation. Yeah. And I feel like I've told this story a billion times. So everybody out there, I apologize, but I'm going to tell it again. But my last appointment with my neurologist after my CT scans came up clear and they said, OK, you are 100 percent recovered and you're going to live a healthy, happy life. And my neurologist, who I really, really liked, really sweet guy, I asked him, I said, okay, is there anything diet related that I should be conscious of? Because I I don't want to mess with any more of my life. I would like to be healthy and move past all of this. Um, Is there anything I should be eating or not eating or anything dietary I should be conscious of? And he said, I don't know. (laughs) And and that to me bothers me so much, Uh, you know, like, credit to him for helping me survive. But at the same time, I have a whole lot of life ahead of me and I would like to be healthy. So it's it's weird to me that our healthcare system has so much siloed when it's all related. So I'm glad that we're having this conversation. Me too. And it makes, you know, I really like your approach, Susanna. Something you said was working within the team. So you're Mm -hmm. not saying that, you know, some people take it to the extreme and they're treating everything without a doctor involved. So keeping that connection, I think is really important, but nutrition is a part of the team. Absolutely. And I think as an individual, we can seek out all of those practitioners without, or, or the mean one, the main ones without relying on perhaps our, our neurologists to say, okay, like partner with these people Mm -hmm. because as, as a healthcare provider, sometimes we do work in those silos for sure. And, and sometimes we, we want to, you know, help as much as we can, but we don't always have that time to network and find the perfect provider that's complementary to our work. Hmm. And so as much as uh, we, we don't want more things to fall on the individual because there's so much already for the individual to take into hand, but 
for the individual to really advocate and say, hey, I'm really interested in nutrition. Do you have anyone you can recommend and mm-hmm. and go from there? So. Yeah. So if I were a patient, you know, let's start with headaches, you know, having mm-hmm. chronic headaches and I came to you, what's your process? What, how does this work? Yeah, good question. So, so the first thing we do is really like, what are you eating now? And what is your micronutrient breakdown? Because like as an individual, you're not really tracking your, most people aren't tracking their food, let alone what their nutrient intake is. So we think overall we're eating a healthy diet or maybe we're not, but it's really hard to, to know if you're deficient in calcium, if you're taking enough omega-3s or you know, if there's any nutrients that you're lower in and really getting that assessment is that first step. How do you and, do that? Is it with labs or just taking a detailed journal of what you've been eating? Yeah, so I do a few different things depending on the level that someone wants to work with me. If someone just only has either a limited budget or limited amount of time, then they just would get kind of an overview of what their food intake is right now. And I do that micronutrient breakdown. So that's kind of a three hour process where I just put it, I have a software system where I put all the foods in and then I get kind of that breakdown and then I can give some specific nutrient recommendations, foods to incorporate. I have a very food food first approach and only if someone is really not taking enough through food would I recommend supplements. And there's certain supplements that are very beneficial for the headache prone brain. But over And then the next step, the next level of working with someone, which is my preferred program, is I do a diagnostic test where it's actually testing the foods and which foods are causing inflammation in the body and it's endpoint inflammation. So there's foods that can cause like a a little short-term inflammation, but that's not something that we're concerned with. We're really concerned with like, is it getting all over the body? Is it going into the brain? So it's, uh, it's like, what is actually causing problems inflammation wise? So it's a particular test called the mediator release test. That's really checking those mediators because the mediators are what's causing the inflammation in the body. So that's interesting. Yeah. So that's my favorite approach with people because we look at the micronutrients first. We look at timing of eating, what people are eating and how to really kind of massage things so that everyone's eating the exact same way, but just incorporating a little bit more of certain foods to make sure everything's really balanced. And then we do, and that's while we're waiting for this test to kind of process. And then once we get the test results, then we can limit the specific foods that are causing inflammation in the body. And once you completely calm the immune system, then you can really see as you add in new foods or as you're testing foods, you can really see which ones are impacting your body. Because if your immune system is completely calm and you, you know, you put a spark on, on a, like in a, I don't know, in a desert or something, that spark you'll really feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just a really great way to be able to narrow down which foods are causing inflammation rather than the typical like migraine approach is to have an an elimination diet. An elimination diet can be very very restrictive and maybe not get the results that you're looking for because it's not testing those different foods for inflammation in your body. Like it has to be a very individualized process like 
I had one client who all she did was cut out apples based on this test and her migraines went away. Now it's, no not, way. Wow. it's not usually that specific, <laughs> you different food, but that was a really incredible result that it was like, and she that's ate crazy. an apple a day. Her whole life she ate an apple a day, you know? Like, yeah, that's what we're told. Away. Yeah. Right? <laughs> sometimes it's a completely harmless food that's very healthy and you wouldn't think twice about eating it. And then, and then you get the results back and you kind of see that, that some foods that you may have incorporated. And then other people like the apples would never be an issue. Like I score very yeah. low on apples. So yeah. Interesting. And this approach sounds way less scary because yeah. I, you know, I was looking at it from an elimination standpoint of let's just start with like nothing and then mm -hmm. you slowly add things in and yeah. that, that doesn't work for many people's oh lifestyles. <laughs> it works for like two weeks and then you're like, no, I, I no can't. No more. <laughs> yeah. Like we all need some social life. We don't want to eat like a rabbit for Because doing that approach can take a full year that you're like yeah. slowly adding one food at a time. I don't and know we're brain injured, right? <laughs> we're brain injured with poor impulse control sometimes, some of <laughs> That's us. That's a very good point. So, <laughs> elimination diets just weren't quite hitting it for me. So that's a yeah, great approach. And then because you didn't do it properly or it didn't mm -hmm. work or when really it's like, it's just so restrictive that it's not practical. Yeah. yeah. So how do you know, besides just a headache, are there other things that tip you off to know that maybe inflammation's a problem? So like this test in particular is really effective for anyone who's experiencing migraine attacks, especially. So either chronic, chronic headaches or migraine. And then another thing that tips, a, a lot of people have additional symptoms along with the migraine. So things like IBS or a lot of bowel issues or indigestion, um, mood, irritability, poor sleep, high stress lives. In the migraine community, it's, it's mostly female. I can't think of the exact stats right now. I believe it's three out of four are, are female. Why is that? Do we know? We, our hormones um, mm -hmm. can cause more inflammation <laughs> in our body. And we're also more uh, prone to stress. So the stress together with it just makes kind of a, a poor balance. And, gotcha. but yeah, they, they're not sure about the mechanism behind it, but the, those are some theories behind it. Interesting. There seems to be a recurring theme that yeah. we're hearing with hormones and women and Post-concussive mm -hmm. syndrome is affected by it. Our genetics and, you know, we mm -hmm. learned in the research that hormones are affected there. Like, it's all interesting. Honestly, <laughs> if you had asked me I, like two years ago if I needed to be worried about hormone health, I would have been like, heck no. But now having learned just as much as we have through doing this podcast, I'm like, heck yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So our, I, I know we don't want to make sweeping generalizations. Everybody's different. Maybe it's apples mm. that are your trigger, but are there foods that you consistently see as causing issues with inflammation that might be worth educating our listeners about? Uh, so overall, there aren't like specific foods because of that personalization, but mm -hmm. we can we can generally say that any more processed foods, anything that has a lot of chemicals. So this test also looks at 30 different chemicals. So most 
most people who who are experiencing headaches do have a lot of like chemical sensitivity and if we're eating any processed foods then there's usually chemicals that are added in there whether it be different dyes or just like different preservatives and stuff that we are often sensitive to MSG is one very popular one that we hear about all the time but a lot of the watching processed foods really paying attention to ingredients on labels and if there's a lot of ingredients if there's ingredients that you don't know what they are then those are usually chemicals the long words (laughs) yeah that you want to stay away from as much as possible interesting Um, that you mentioned dyes and this is not entirely related to brain injury or our brains but i i'm a mom and i was recently reading about the amount of food dyes used in foods that are appealing to children, particularly cereals that would catch your child's eye in a grocery store. And it was a little bit alarming to me. I'm kind of watchful about my kid's food. But when I started going down this list, it was, it was a, a bit unsettling. It's, yeah, scary. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, and that's what we're feeding our children. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Anything that has cartoon character um, mm-hmm. yeah, in one of my, I don't know, one of my classes at some point, we actually looked at here's all the cereals that are targeted to children that have a, it was it was something like you look at all the cereals that have a cartoon character on them and then you compare them even to some of the other cereals especially the ones that are like on the bottom shelf and stuff mm-hmm. and it was just mind-boggling the amount of sugar in them uh, versus fiber and mm-hmm. the additional dyes and stuff in there that it's really quite depressing that we that, we, that marketing is allowed to do all of that. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and we started that early. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Certainly watching those, uh, those foods, anything processed, anything that you're not making yourself, which can be, which can feel overwhelming to a lot of people because like when you do have a brain injury, it's really hard to make everything from scratch. But there there are a lot of ways to make things easy, like buying a lot of frozen vegetables. A lot of people aren't aware that frozen vegetables are just as healthy as the fresh vegetables and sometimes even healthier because as soon as the plant is fresh and ready, they freeze it and it's the flash frozen, whereas the fresh vegetables can be on a truck for a couple of days, in the grocery store for a few days, certainly in our fr- fridge for a few days, and with each day you lose some nutrients. So feeling comfortable with a lot of the different frozen vegetables. So some for me, something like cauliflower and broccoli, I almost always get frozen because like they still maintain their firmness, but they have a lot of like spiraled vegetables now. Like I love spiraled butternut squash or spiraled carrots. So using that with pastas and stuff so that you're adding more vegetables in that way and not having to cut anything up. Fruits are, of course, easier to get in but especially anything that's really brightly colored so having a lot of frozen berries in your in your freezer is always good to make sure you've got that in your vegetables and that kind of can make things a bit easier and fish is of course extremely important for the brain because our brain is mostly fat so we want to be getting a lot of omega-3 and fish is actually really easy to make. So, I mean, any anytime I'm like, oh, what am I making for supper? I only have 20 minutes. The kids are almost home and stuff. And and like fish is such a great go-to because it cooks in 20 minutes. You just sprinkle some 
you know, put some lemon and some salt and pepper on it and you're good to go or put some yeah. pesto on it. So eating fish on a regular basis can really lessen the load of trying to make too much too. So love fish. Is it just yeah. salmon or? No, no. So some of the best salmon is one of the best sources of omega-3. So salmon and salmon oil, uh, but things like anchovies, uh, cod, trout, sardines, oysters, mackerel. So really just. <laughs> The idea I'm, laugh I'm laughing because I love sardines. Little known fact: it's my dad's favorite. <laughs> it's my dad's favorite fishing lunch is saltines and sardines and Tabasco sauce, and it just like it's, <laughs> I don't think it I've ever really tried weird. a sardine. They're really good. <laughs> I feel like they get a bad rap. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those that you just learn to hate before you've even tried. Yeah. It. Yeah. Everybody out there listening, please go try a sardine if you've never had one. Don't judge it. <laughs> I'll have to do that because I have not. Yeah. Next time we have you to dinner, Erin, I'm going to serve you sardines. Okay. I'll try it. I'll try it. You anything. sound scared. I do sound, a, I mean, like, it's like oh eating a whole fish, right? You just, yeah, but you eat it's it. Like the, it's not, as, bite off it's its not even head. as long as your thumb. Yeah. Just eating heads. I don't know. But I am not trying to discredit. I will try one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I need those omega-3s. Listeners, we're going to report back to you after Aaron tries her first. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it on air. Yeah. <laughs> See how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> and anyone who has young kids, it's great to introduce them to it. Because even as adults, if we don't like it, it doesn't mean that our kids don't. Like, so I, I've never been a fan of, like, clams, except in clam, clam chowder. Um and when my kids were especially like at the six to nine month age where you're trying to give them a lot of iron like clams are a great source of iron and kids love clams like they're this That's so like, funny and you just cut it up and it's so easy because you just buy you know a can of clams and rinse it off and then you've got supper made so you never know what they'll like it's true <laughs> So I feel like there's a lot of big, bad wolves in nutrition right now. Anything I've looked at for, for me, it's more like my mental health. I've been looking at stuff and it's mm -hmm. always get rid of gluten, get rid of dairy and get rid of sugar. Mm, Is yeah. it that simple? Uh, Is that no. simple? That sounds terrible. That's, right. It sounds terrifying. That's why I haven't I done it. And maybe this is outside of headache. I don't know if headaches um, have the same rec recommendations or not, but. Yeah, so those are certainly blanket recommendations rather than the more personalized ones. And the reason they've become blanket ones is that people often do have a gluten sensitivity that's been undiagnosed or the proteins in gluten can, can bother some people even if they don't have that, a, like a celiac problem. And then dairy, the problem with dairy is that there's the cows, it depends on what the cows are eating, right? So I find it's really great to get a test like this so that you know once and for all. And uh, I actually, the first 14 days of the test, we cut out gl gluten and dairy because it often is reactive for people. But then once you've calmed the immune system completely and reintroduce it, then you know for sure for you whether uh, it's a problem or not. So for me, I don't have a problem with gluten or dairy. I eat both every day. 
And then sugar is often one of those very inflammatory foods as well. But sometimes you may be reactive to white sugar and not to maple syrup or not to honey. And then you can kind of switch them out. Or some people may be reactive to honey and not the white sugar, the cane sugar. There's also like beet sugar versus cane sugar. And those are never labeled on on the sugar packages. So... So yeah, there's a little bit of detective work there, but it it's just kind of easy for people to say like, oh, just cut your dairy and your gluten and chances are you'll see results, but it's very overwhelming because you don't want to cut that forever. And then so who wants that kind of diet when you're enjoying all those foods? So yeah, and that's yeah. how it gets overwhelming. It is amazing how different every human body is, honestly. Um, I ha- I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes. I just had a baby in June. Oh, congrats. And oh, thank you. And um, honestly, first of all, gestational diabetes is the meanest thing to do to a pregnant lady. Oh, like it, you're just trying to feel human at month nine and, and gestational diabetes doesn't help because you can't just binge ice cream. But <laughs> that issue aside, I did find the process of eating for gestational diabetes really fascinating because you literally are monitoring your blood sugar after pretty much everything you eat. So, mm-hmm. and and they can't make blanket statements when it comes to that because there are certain things that will trigger spikes in blood sugar in one person that don't for another. Like mm-hmm. I found I could eat ice cream in the middle, like at, as my after dinner snack and it didn't make me have an uh, have a crash in the morning whereas another mm. person it would but if i ate like peanut butter and uh half an english muffin whole english muffin and some fruit i would crash mm. just really interesting because like you can't just say this is the diet for you know like this is what you eat and it's going to work for you in gestational diabetes it makes sense that the exact same thing could not be done for headache nutrition And it makes it kind of, for me, it makes it challenging to do a lot of like webinars and education pieces because it's such personalized information that we know, like we need to know more to the picture. Like there are, Mm -hmm. like there's five nutrients that I always kind of go over and and we can go over as, as well here, but after those main nutrients and looking at overall diet and making sure that the overall diet is healthy and not too processed, then the next step really needs to be more personalized. So, um, but for anyone who's kind of at the beginning of the the search and who's uh, just starting to, you know, get control and starting to think about food as, as a possibility to see symptom relief, then we can talk about kind of the main nutrients to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's do that. Are these five nutrients only for headaches, or is this for anything so that you're trying to treat? I nutritionally? have I, I have a list of five nutrients for like post concussive syndrome, and then I have a list okay. of five nutrients for for chronic headaches and migraine. Oh, perfect! Okay. This is not Susanna's first rodeo. <laughs> All right, <laughs> what, what do I choose? They're both so important <laughs> population group. So, <laughs> yeah, let's do and that. So there is some overlap as well. Okay, so the five nutrients to pay attention to for for chronic headaches to start with. So we mentioned omega-3, and that is definitely something you really want to focus on. Anyone who doesn't eat fish uh, at least twice a week, you want to increase that even more, like to have fish more often than meat. So 
Uh, but if you're not someone that does that, then you want to think about adding a supplement. But even then, you still want to think about food first. So a supplement can kind of like boost you up. But if you're not having any through food, the supplement likely won't do as much either. Because if you're not getting the food first, sometimes the if the gut isn't digesting well, then it's likely not digesting a supplement well either. Okay. Yeah. So omega-3s. So definitely salmon. If you don't like salmon, try some other uh, fatty fish. And then the, the second nutrient, and this goes for all groups, is uh, vitamin D. And there's tons of research behind vitamin D for, for brain health. And especially to focus on vitamin D between the months of October and April, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And this applies, so we used to kind of just recommend, you know, if you're north of Boston, you want to make sure you're taking your vitamin D supplement. But really, it's like across the U.S. that you want to take the, the vitamin D supplement because... Unless you're maybe in like San Diego where you're out with shorts and a t-shirt on and getting the vitamin D through the sun. If you're covering up when you're going outside, you're not getting enough vitamin D through the sun, if any at all. Mm. So taking that vitamin D supplement every day is really important because it's, it's very hard to get vitamin D through food. There's things like shiitake, mushrooms, often our, our, our milk has some vitamin D added into it, but it's just not enough. So you want to yeah. take you do want to take a supplement of vitamin D. Yeah, okay. back when that I was... lived in the Bay Area, my doctor mm-hmm. out there said that San Francisco in particular has one of the highest vitamin D shortages in the country because Ooh. there's a lot less sun yeah, around. Yeah, you're so. like, oh, I live in California. I don't need it. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Easy to make that assumption, yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's the same thing in, in Florida too because, you know, it's just thought of as such a warm and... Mm-hmm. and uh, such a sunny state that Mm -hmm. but we likely won't get enough so it's good just to boost that up and be really consistent best to take vitamin d in the morning because it does it can uh, bind with the same receptors as melatonin and we want melatonin to increase at night to help with our sleep so best to take your vitamin d in the morning good tip yeah good tip i hadn't heard (laughs) that one before that's excellent and um, then the next nutrient is vitamin B2 for for the brain and it can be found in a lot of places but things like you can supplement vitamin B2 naturally through nutritional yeast usually has a lot of vitamin B2 in there if anyone's taking a B complex that can help but it's usually foods like meats and stuff that have a lot of B2 in it so B2 is something to watch for I didn't know that about nutritional yeast. Mm-hmm. And to our listeners who don't know what that is, what is nutritional yeast? I have some, yeah. so I, I know. But so it's like a little powder that you just sprinkle on things, and it gives a great flavor to to. Food. Tastes a little like cheese, kind of right? Like yeah, it's often it's like, like a, a uh, alternative for anyone who's not eating dairy. Then yeah. You can- nutritional yeast it's great on kale chips it's great on like i put it on vegetables all the time you put a little bit of salt and a little bit of nutritional yeast and it it just gives a really great flavor to things i'm gonna remember that tonight when i'm making dinner i always forget that Mm. i have it and so now i will slide it in i was just thinking that i'm like ooh, i want to do that (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, magnesium is the next thing that you want to watch for 
there's been a lot of research that shows that anyone who's deficient in magnesium are much more prone to ma- uh, migraine attacks. And uh, what else did I want to say about that? Well, it'll come to me, but magnesium is really important. So, okay. I have a question related to magnesium because uh, sometimes I listen to different podcasts, which I want to support everyone. And one of them is all about anxiety and they always have an ad for treating your anxiety with this magnesium that crosses the blood brain barrier. So is that a thing? Like, do we have to worry about magnesium getting to our brain? Yeah. That I haven't heard of before, but there are a ton of different subtypes of magnesium. So that you do want to pay attention to. Okay. So that's probably where they're getting that messaging from is like, okay, this is the better type of magnesium. Let's just kind of promote it even more by saying it gets by the blood brain barrier better. So the two types of magnesium, if someone's going for a supplement would be magnesium glycinate or magnesium citrate. Mm -hmm. So magnesium citrate is usually cheaper, more, so more affordable, unlikely to cause GI distress. And the magnesium glycinate is usually better for anyone who does deal with stress or anxiety or things like that. It just kind of calms the nerves a bit more. So choosing one of those two uh, would be would be best. But there's many different types of uh, magnesium. So you don't want to just kind of go out and get a random magnesium supplement. You really want to go for one of those two types. Huh. So you and, have to pay more attention to the type. That's really interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. And for supplements in general, you really want to make sure that it's a good supplement that you, that is uh, likely to be absorbed. Because there's a lot, I mean, there's a ton of supplements out there, right? It's such a huge market, but you want to go for supplements that have been third-party tested. So that means that they're sending it off to other places to make sure that it's like tested and what they say is in the bottle is actually in the bottle and that they're not, those two companies aren't affiliated with each other. So Mm. just make sure that you're getting a quality product. Mm. So looking for that on the bottle, sometimes that means it's more expensive, but it's totally worth it to make sure that uh, you're getting what you are paying for. And also you want to make sure that it's absorbed. So they, the researchers feel that, that the migraine prone brain just isn't absorbing magnesium as much as maybe the general population. And that could be due, some, due to some gut health uh, issues that's often paired together, just like the leaky gut where we're not absorbing nutrients as well as we could be. Hmm. So, so yeah. I also, the, oh, go ahead, Erin. I was going to say, is this the place where we prefer whole food supplements from whole food sources rather than strictly just a pharmaceutical chemical? Uh, yeah, it's not always possible though. So okay. I don't usually like make that kind of a requirement, but I okay. do always, I do always make sure that people are still getting the food sources. Cause then you've got that, you know, you've got that yeah. supplement source, you've got the food source and the combination together is by far the most powerful. So really thinking of magnesium foods too. So things like pumpkin seeds and hemp seeds are excellent sources of magnesium and also good sources of protein too. So it's a great snack to just have, you know, some pumpkin seeds with some grapes or something as your snack. Um, So using pumpkin seeds a lot. Also spinach is an excellent source of magnesium, especially cooked spinach because you get that much more like bang for your buck when it's cooked. So Getting your magnesium through food is really, really important. 
So I also have a magnesium question since we're here. Mm -hmm. A couple years ago, I had an eye twitch that would not go away. It was like a two week eye twitch. Uh, and it was, it got worse and worse and worse. It was to the point where like, I'd be in the middle of a sentence and it would start twitching and I'd just like lose my train of thought. And it was, right. it was driving me bonkers, literally. And someone told me that, I think it was my trainer at the time said that magnesium can help and that sometimes magnesium is absorbed well through the skin and she recommended trying epsom salt baths is that true is that yeah. really a thing i i mean i tried it and eventually my eye twitch went away oh, <laughs> <But that's good. laughs> uh, epsom salts can be a, a good way to get a little bit extra boost so mm -hmm. still you want to focus on the food yeah um, okay and the only reason for that is that we can't calculate what we're absorbing through, mm -hmm. say, an Epsom bath, or there's a lot of creams that have magnesium in it, too. So as much as we think it's absorbed better, we have no sense to know how much is absorbed. Hard to know. Better. That makes sense. Yeah. Like when yeah. you're taking a food or you're taking a supplement, you know how much you're taking to, mm -hmm. to get to the needs that you need. Or and we're not having a bath every day, so it's just it's it's too much of a fluctuation. But it's a great yeah. bonus. And yeah. great oh, I'll take an excuse yeah. for a bath every day, no problem. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Cool. Okay, and my last nutrient there is CoQ10. So CoQ10. What? <laughs> I have not heard of that one. <laughs> so, okay, this is a great one to to hear about then. So it's it's coenzyme Q10. So it's it's an enzyme that we do produce in our body. But often the headache prone brain just doesn't have enough of this CoQ10. So this is a supplement that's really great for like anyone who feels low energy. If there's anyone who has heart conditions in their family, then this is uh, this is a supplement who's been that's been really researched in the heart population, especially, and can be just really beneficial. So uh, they found that taking in 200 milligrams a day isn't quite enough to alleviate headaches. But if you're if you take it twice a day, which is what's recommended on all the bottles, is to take it twice a day, which gives 400 milligrams. That's usually a lot of people see a great result with CoQ10. Hmm. And can that um, be in your diet at all, or just supplements? Yeah. So it can be in your diet, but it's mainly through like organ meats and just meats in general. So anyone who's a vegetarian would want to consider this as a supplement. And yeah, just most of us don't eat organ meats. So I was going to say it, that's not on the top of my menu. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that can be one to consider. Cool. Very cool. So those yeah. are the five for headaches. Yes, headache and migraine. Okay. So there is some overlap with the with concussion, and the main overlap would be the omega three and the vitamin D. And I also wanted to say that a lot of people like that brain injury that often, though you've never been diagnosed with migraine, that often, because I was never diagnosed with migraine until recently when I was like, no, this is it was almost a self diagnosis more than anything. But if you are having regular headaches, it could be just that that injury caused that smaller headache bucket. So it is common to see these two together. Hmm. But for anyone, so especially for post-concussive syndrome, you want to be focusing on the brain healing, uh, making sure that you're getting enough energy through food, because while the brain's healing, it just has such higher needs. So instead of, you know, an 
if your normal diet is 1800 calories, you're probably going to have to increase that just so that your brain can heal. But especially like say a year after an injury, then you no longer need those higher energy needs, but you do want to focus on these nutrients. So omega-3 and vitamin D and then polyphenols would be the next thing. So this is Polyphenols are basically antioxidants, but found in bright colored fruits and vegetables, herbs, spices. So anything that's really bright likely has some polyphenols. So a great example would be curcumin, which is found in turmeric. So the bright yellow turmeric, like really adding that to foods can really help. And side note, I just started taking a turmeric supplement. Sorry, TMI alert, but um, (laughs) that's what we do on this podcast. I realized my pee was neon yellow, and I did not make the connection between the turmeric and the neon yellow pee. And the other day I was like, what is going on? I'm not dehydrated. I have been drinking water all day. What's going on? And I I have like this aha moment staring at my pee. That's awesome. <laughs> so anyway, fair warning, your pee will probably be bright yellow. <laughs> and my B complex vitamin also does that, but it's one of those food source ones that's yellow. Yep. It's really bright. It's kind of scary. <laughs> now everybody knows more about their pee than our pee right? than, than they ever want. Exactly. B complex vitamins will do the same thing. <laughs> yep. I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> so other foods to pay attention to. Uh, so for the resveratrol is another antioxidant that's a polyphenol. So all these fancy words, but basically like look at turmeric, blueberries, grapes, like the dark grapes, especially all berries are really great. Peanuts as well. Oh. Uh, surprisingly. So those are all things with high polyphenols that can really help with the brain injury. And are we and then, like handfuls of this stuff or a little bit will do you? Well, with the things like berries, you can eat a cup, you know, a good handful, but a yeah. portion size usually half a cup. So something like that. Would, okay. Would, yeah. So we're not doing like super diet. Turmeric, but okay. yeah, you don't want to just eat this or anything. <laughs> but just the, the goal is to try to include something at least every day. And the more like colorful your plates are, then the better. So the more vegetables and fruits you can get, the better. Because as much as the recommendations are to have five fruits or vegetables a day, really for anyone who is dealing with uh, trying to improve their brain health, then we actually want to increase that more to like eight to 10 servings a day. So the more color you can get, you don't have to think about like, oh, I'm getting polyphenols with this meal or I'm getting, you know, (laughs) resveratrol with this. So just really thinking like, where's my color, my my rainbow. So I love to look at my supper plate and make sure I've got at least four different colors on the plate. That's a good way of thinking about it. So you're not like stressing yourself out about like what vitamins in each, you know, food, just counting the colors. I love that. Exactly. Also makes for a very beautiful plate. It does. I know. I'm always like, oh, this is so pretty. And <laughs> you know, the days that you're not having all those colors that is like, oh, this it, it's the meal just looks bland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, some green in here or something else. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the next thing would be creatine. So this is usually like found as supplements in the supplement form, but they they have so the study here from 2010 is very important for brain functioning, neuroprotection, 
So it's, it's about the energy stores in the brain, especially. So if you're feeling like a lot of brain fog and just, um, unable to function, then something like creatine can be a beneficial like addition. Um, and then the last one would be to add a probiotic or at least foods with probiotics. So things like yogurt, kefir, kimchi, sauerkraut, kombucha, things like that to get some, some pre and probiotics in there. Prebiotics are mostly like anything that has lots of fiber in it, whereas the probiotics would be those, those food. Yeah. And that's Try for it. the leaky gut a little bit? That also like helps a lot with yeah? the leaky gut. Okay. Sure. Yeah, okay. It helps to seal those, uh, those links in between the gut cells. Erin and her husband got me started on kombucha. Love it. <laughs> but actually, it's amazing how many kombuchas have a whole bunch of added sugar, um, mm -hmm. which is always kind of a turnoff for me. You really but... need to look at the labels. Yeah, yeah. you do. Um, yeah. yeah. We have one that is more of a local brand that has no added sugar. Amazing. But, but yeah, some of the ones like Target actually has a whole bunch of kombuchas in their refrigerator section. But if you look at the labels, mm -hmm. there's a lot of cane sugar. So mm -hmm. yeah, if you're thinking like, this is so delicious, I need to drink it all. Then yeah. <laughs> if it tastes right. a little like Kool-Aid, there might be some sugar in there. <laughs> yeah. So, Absolutely. Yeah. so um, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to add something about the kombucha because uh, I've used kombucha as a really great like alcohol alternative, especially when you're out with friends, because most of the brain injured population really just can't handle alcohol anymore. And I suggest you completely take it out of your diet until you have control. But kombucha can be a great alternative where you're still like feeling like you're having kind of a treat. Mm drink mm -hmm. and it's busy and you're participating so that's kind of how i like to have my kombucha <laughs> that's a good idea there you go. yeah so we've kind of hit on things other than headache we talked a little bit about leaky gut why would mm -hmm. we care about our gut health when we're thinking of brain injuries and moods and headaches and that sort of stuff good question. yeah so the gut brain connection is so powerful because our gut and our brain like I, I like to describe it as a cable from the brain to the gut so everything's communicating from the gut to the brain and the brain's communicating like they're they don't have to go through multiple channels to get there it's like this direct path and mm. a thick cable between the two and that's the vagus nerve like it's a very thick nerve so if our gut is off then our brain is going to be off and vice versa. So we really want to look at both together. So if we're not eating like a very diverse diet, then chances are our gut health isn't ideal. So we can work on that diversity and getting more plant foods or color on our plate and working from that perspective. And then that will just automatically help with the brain. So the unscientific term is leaky gut where all of these cells should be really like t it's the tight junctions are supposed to be really tight together. So if you put your 
like if you put your fists together or your, you link your hands if you <laughs> since this is auditory i'm like <laughs> how do you describe that <laughs> your fingers and really tightly nothing's getting through those passages right but with the leaky gut which is estimated at least 70 percent of the population deals with leaky gut what oh wow. so you can just assume that this is something you want to pay attention to so what's happening with leaky gut is that those fingers are becoming like are, are much looser and there's things that can get in between the fingers. And so the goal with when we're looking at diet and stuff is to really get those tight junctures back together. And one of the ways is to address inflammation because it's often the inflammation that is causing those those uh, gaps. And then a lot of nutrients are just going right into the cellular areas and causing that inflammation and that long-term inflammation. So the gut needs to absolutely be addressed. And that's just mm -hmm. kind of overall healthy eating diversity and looking at some of those nutrients that I talked about. Interesting. I, I feel like it's so easy to like look at the body as disconnected pieces and say, well, you know, like my bowels are fine, so I don't need to worry about this. Or, you know, like my skin is fine, so I don't need to worry about this. But mm -hmm. it's all connected. So it's all connected. Yeah. And then each person, it just manifests differently. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Because you're, if you have skin rashes or anything like that, that's often links right back to the gut as mm -hmm. well. And yeah. also an inflammatory condition so yeah and another piece of the puzzle that is i think very top of mind for both me and aaron and many brain injury survivors is mental health and how that is affected mm -hmm. by your diet do you have any words of wisdom for listeners who are struggling with that and might be looking for smart eating tips for you know like making sure that their mental health is at least supported mm -hmm. by diet yeah so it does come back to a lot of this a lot of similar recommendations to try to focus on color and getting bright. So getting fruits and vegetables, using lots of herbs and spices that can all help like get a lot of that color and help with the gut and just do what you can and not, not get down on yourself. You know, if it's a day where you're like, I just need to take what's whatever's in the fridge or I need to eat out today and not, not get down about that, but it's like the overall picture of saying mm -hmm. where can I get more color in my diet. And it just has a huge impact on on mental health and depression. There's a ton of of studies out there of the link between food and, and depression and anxiety and all of that. So but usually it comes down to fruits and vegetable intake and omega threes. So it's not it's not fancy like quick fixes or anything, but it's about like really kind of writing down when you are having a good day, like writing down all of your favorite vegetables. And some days when you just need a bit of like that, a little bit of an idea or something, you, you, you've been maybe eating the same thing over and over. And then you look at your list and you say, oh my gosh, I haven't had beets in ages. And you can get beets kind of pre-prepared. And even pickled beets are a great source because then you've got some probiotics and um, you've got the bright color of the beets, and that could be something easy to add to your plate. But having, you know, a couple of lists of, of things, the foods that you do like that maybe we get out of the habit of eating, then we forget about it. And also like making sure that you have easy things to prepare on those days that you're not feeling well. And that's where I find frozen food can be really useful because even 
something like butternut squash is all cubed for you. So you don't have to worry about the awful peeling. Of squash. <laughs> you don't have to wrestle with it. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah, I refused <laughs> to buy a squash bowl anymore. It's hard to but, cut. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to cut. So having, making sure you've got that kind of rotation in your freezer that you've got some of those quick to prepare vegetables that you can just add to a, to a meal to, to make your life easier. And that's where like frozen berries are really great too. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. One thing that I recently started doing, cause I struggle with adding vegetable, like I eat vegetables at dinner, no problem, but I struggle with it a little bit at lunch, but especially breakfast. Like I, you know, I just don't know where to add a vegetable in, but I recently started mm. just like putting a little bit of kale into my scrambled eggs every morning. Mm. It doesn't really affect the taste. It tastes delicious. Also truffle salt helps, but whatever. Erin mm. and I are foodies, so <laughs> love it. <laughs> um, but I do it almost every morning now and it like, I really look forward to it. It's just like a small addition and it doesn't take that much to just like chop a little bit of kale. It's so easy, mm. but it's made a big another difference. another frozen food you could have on hand. I like yeah. it. Yeah, kale that I throw in, you know, a soup or a casserole or yeah, but something else for breakfast that you might consider is pumpkin. So just a hundred percent pumpkin in a can, and that's really great to add. Like I put it in my oatmeal. Really, oh, that's a great idea. I always have pumpkin around. Yeah, so I could put awesome. that in my yogurt. Yeah, I always do like a cashew yogurt. milk yogurt and nuts and fruit, but pumpkin would be mm-hmm. really good in that. It's kind of a good like morning type thing to add for a vegetable. That's a good idea. Well, okay. So key takeaways, eat the rainbow and Aaron's going to try a sardine. <laughs> I was hoping you'd forget that. I will I'll never forget that. I'll do it. Where? <laughs> well, Susanna, thank you so much. This has been an awesome conversation. I have learned so much and I am so appreciative of your very reasonable approach to all of this because I, I do think people you know, like think, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to take all of something out of my diet and are really intimidated by it. But A, there are small changes you can make and B, you don't have to be worried about like cutting every food group or, you know, like dairy, gluten and everything else out of your diet. But, but it is important to remember everyone's an individual, right? So Mm -hmm. it makes sense that you need to tailor a solution to your body. So, yeah. And yeah. we don't really need to take every supplement out there either. Cause that can be really overwhelming. <laughs> but it's like, mm-hmm. well, how much am I spending on supplements? I know they're not cheap. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I really like to look at people's intake and be like, actually, you don't need magnesium. Like yeah. take that off your list. Uh, and because if we're taking 14 different supplements, there's no way we're absorbing all that. And that just adds to the whole like kind of gut absorption issues. So yeah, makes total sense. Well, thank you for joining us. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. Susanna can be found on the interwebs. She is the headache nutritionist. Check out her website. It's awesome. And she has a great mailing list, I will say. And um, look for her on Facebook and Instagram at headache nutritionist. And feel free to get in touch with her. Get in touch with us. If you have questions, we're happy to relay them on. And Susanna, thank you so much. Hopefully we'll have you back sometime. I hope so. I love these conversations. I yeah, yeah, you can go too. on a different tangent and uh, and have lots to talk about. Yeah. Awesome. So Aaron and Mariah signing off and we will talk to y'all next week. 
Thanks for joining us on the Making Headway Podcast. For more information and show notes, visit makingheadwaypodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Check us out at Making Headway Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and share with your friends. Catch you next time. All topics are intended to be used for educational and entertainment purposes only. The podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any issues or treatment considerations you may have. For our full legal terms, please see our website at makingheadwaypodcast.com. This podcast was recorded, mixed, and mastered with love at Stout Heart Studios. Sun rises across the ocean. 